Matthew's Gospel during the season of Advent. And so I felt it only fitting that we would continue the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. If you're using the church Bible there in the rack, it's page 808. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our good and gracious king, would you take these words that I've read and I pray that you would press them deep into our hearts. Anything that comes from me this morning, Lord, I pray that it would be blown away and forgotten. But I pray that what is of you would be remembered forever. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as most of you are probably aware, the story of Jesus does not stop in Bethlehem. It continues, and at this point in the story, it's been a little over 25 years probably, and a new voice begins crying out. His name is John, and he tells us that the arrival of Jesus, at least he, he doesn't say Jesus, that will become apparent later in the story, but the arrival of God's kingdom, which comes with Jesus, that demands a response. And so this Christmas morning, I want to ask you, what will you do with Jesus? We've 
focused this season on his birth. But now we need to reckon with the fact that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, and not just his birth in Bethlehem, but his growing into an adult, uh, the sinless life that he lived, the shameful death that he died, his resurrection, all of those things, Jesus demands a response. What will we do with Jesus? So this morning I want to look at John's message, and we'll look at three parts of it. First, we're going to talk about what it means when he says that the kingdom has come. We'll look at his call to repentance, and then we're going to see that we need more cleansing. We need a deeper cleansing than even what John offered. So let's, let's break down his message. Uh, the first thing that we find out is uh, John appears on the scene, and he is preaching a message. And that word for preaching there means that he is a royal messenger. Uh, in, in older language, what would be called a herald, not the name herald, uh, but uh, a messenger, somebody who came with a message from the king. So he's not the king himself. He's one with a message, and he comes with the king's authority. And here's his message. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Mark and Luke call it the kingdom of God, but it means the same thing. What is the kingdom? What does it mean that the kingdom, God's kingdom, has arrived? Well, God's kingdom is his rule and reign over his people. That's what God's kingdom is. It's what the Old Testament prophets had promised would come one day, someday. It's what they looked forward to. It's a day when God would rescue his people and he would judge his enemies. It's it's what the prophets talked about. The day of the kingdom is when God would rescue his people and judge his enemies. And so what John is in effect saying is the wait is over. The day that you've been waiting for is here. But that's not all that John says. There's a response to John's message. And it's the response of repentance. He says in verse 2, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, if the king has come, then you've got to get ready. You have to prepare. Think about what you would do if, a, if the president or some other important leader were coming to visit your home. Right? I doubt that you would uh, remain in your pajamas uh, and not clean or dust or vacuum Even if you don't necessarily care much for our current president, I imagine if the president of the United States and most of the people in this room would respect the office and you would prepare for his arrival because he is someone who is worthy of his honor because of his office. And that's what John is calling these people to do. He's calling them to prepare for the king. And how should they repair? By repenting. What is repentance? Well, Matt said a little bit earlier, it means to turn. That's literally what the word means. It's to turn. Now, this is actually the same language that the Old Testament prophets use. As the people wandered away from their God, the prophets would repeatedly call them back to turn back to God, to repent. And as we see in John's warning, it means more than simply confessing your sins and saying you're sorry. It's a change of heart. 
to change of life. Look at what he says to the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, these are the religious leaders in, uh, in the Jewish nation. And they come out to see what's going on, right? All of these people are coming to John. They're being washed by him on the River Jordan. They're confessing their sins. They're heeding John's call to repentance. Uh, and then the religious leaders show up. And John is, uh, this is, this is textbook, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He doesn't mince words. He says, you brood of vipers, children of serpents. That's what he, you're the, you're the, you're the sons of a snake, is what he's saying. It's similar, actually, to what Jesus would say later on when he would call these same religious leaders sons of the devil. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, repentance is not just an outward I'm sorry, but it's actually a, a turn. It's a change in your nature. It's a change of heart and life. And it's for everyone. What's interesting about what John is doing in baptizing, this isn't a new thing, right? There were several washing rituals in the Old Testament. One that they did in particular was for Gentiles, non-Jews who wanted to come into the people, uh, of uh, become like a Jew, they had to be baptized. They had to be cleansed with water, washed with water. And what's shocking about what John is doing is he's calling Jews to do that. Everyone needs to be cleansed. And your status doesn't matter either. The sinners, as well as the righteous, quote unquote, need to repent. Repentance is for everyone. He calls the religious leaders to repent as well. And he even warns them. He says, don't assume that you're in the kingdom simply because of your heritage. There are no second generation Christians. They cannot assume that simply because Abraham is their father that they already have the kingdom. No, they too need to repent. They too need to experience a change of life. But is John just calling us to, to good works here? Is he saying, clean up your life so that you can receive the kingdom? No. Repentance doesn't bring the kingdom. The grace of the kingdom comes first, and the right response to it is repentance. The kingdom comes first, and that calls for repentance. As one writer put it, John is not inviting people to pile up good works he is looking for a change in the orientation of the whole life that will result in fruitful living. The call to repent. Now, a good question then would be, how do I know if my repentance is enough? How much repenting do I need to do? How do I not end up on a repentance treadmill? Kind of continuous sorrowing and repenting. When will I know if it is enough? And John shows us that we need really more than what he has to give. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. We need more 
than the cleansing that John offers. We need a deeper cleansing. John says that someone else is coming. He says someone who is mightier than I, somebody who's more powerful than me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just paving the way for someone else. Someone's coming after me who is much worthier than me. Removing and carrying sandals was the job of the lowest servant. In fact, uh, in Jewish culture in the first century, rabbis who were teachers would usually have groups of disciples that would follow them. And kind of the, the disciples' code was that they were, to, they were to do for their rabbi everything that a servant would do for his master except for the carrying of his sandals. That was too low a job. And here's John saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. That's how much worthier, that's how much more exalted he is than I am. And he says that this someone who's coming after him would offer a deeper cleansing. He says, I baptize with water. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? Well, this too was a promise of the prophets. It was a promise of Joel that on the day that the king came, the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And we see as we go through the New Testament that that what that means is that when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a person, they are renewed from the inside out. So when he says that Jesus comes to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire, he means he's talking about inward renewal, not just outward cleansing, but inward cleansing. That's what we really need. And that's what Jesus offers. Why fire? Well, think about it. I remember one time uh, going on a hike in the woods uh, with my Boy Scout troop, and uh, I developed a rather nasty infected blister. It's pretty gross. And uh, one of the one of the scoutmasters got a needle, and he didn't go. Now I got some nurses in the room. Um, how comfortable would you feel if he had taken that needle and just washed it off in the creek? Got some doctors in the room too. You wouldn't feel very comfortable with that, right? No, what he did was he took a lighter and he held that needle over open flame. We were out in the woods, there wasn't anything else to do, and so he sterilized that needle with fire. And then he went to work. I won't enlarge on those details any more than that. Uh, right? Fire cleanses more than water does. So I think that's what John is saying here. The one who is coming offers you something much better than I have. And it's a deeper cleansing. It's the cleansing of inward renewal. Now, we know that who he's talking about is Jesus. And as John goes on in verse 12, we see that Jesus will do exactly as the promised king is supposed to do. He will gather his people. He will rescue and gather his people. And he will conquer and judge his enemies. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And maybe you see the image of a, of a pitchfork. What you would do is you would take all of the wheat that had been gathered and you would take your fork and you would toss that up into the air. And the chaff uh, would be separated from the wheat. All the wheat would be gathered up and carried to the barn. And as they said, all the chaff would be 
burned. And that's exactly what the prophets promised the king would do when he came, when the kingdom came. He would rescue and gather his people and he would defeat and judge his enemies. Now, maybe that's not the message you expect on a Christmas day. That message of judgment is not one that uh, there's not any ornaments on the tree for that one. It's not usually something we think about at Christmas time, but it is an aspect of Jesus's ministry. And we know that he will return. Uh, we mentioned this last night. And when that he and when he returns, his glory will be very clear. And that day, that will be the day of final salvation and final judgment. But I do want you to notice something. John is focusing on the message of judgment here. And he's being a faithful messenger. But there's something he doesn't see yet. He doesn't see how Jesus is going to accomplish his rescue. He doesn't see how the king is going to carry out his mission. John is focused on judgment, and rightly so. But he doesn't realize yet that Jesus has come to bear the judgment himself. That the one who will take the axe first will be Christ. He will bear the judgment himself. So that all those who trust in him will not have to face that judgment anymore. Jesus will start his ministry after John, and his message is the same. But he adds a part. He says, repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? The king has come, and he's died in your place, and he's risen again to give you life with him forever. This Christmas, I don't want you to remain indifferent to Jesus. You can't. The king has come. He demands a response. You cannot sit on the fence with Jesus forever. You must decide, what will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you receive the acts of judgment for all those who would believe. That you went to the tree and gave up your life so that we could be saved. Lord, I pray that every person within the sound of my voice would place their faith in you today. That they would bow the knee to you as king. That they would own you as Lord. And they would experience the salvation that you have to offer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.